is Allison Carter, Occupational Therapist with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 87 and is part two on the topic of the ATNR, or Asymmetric Tonic Neck Reflexes. In part one, I talked about the reflex, how to test for it, and what it can look like if it is retained. For part two, I will get into what types of exercises and activities might be beneficial for kids who have a retained ATNR. I will also discuss a research study on the same topic. I'm sorry that it took me so long to get this next episode out. On a personal note, and I won't get into much detail, but let's just say I haven't been able to sit at the computer and type for long periods of time in the past few months. So I've had to just type a little of this here and there until now, finally it's done. Um, I really hope the next one doesn't take this long. I don't think it will because I've been doing much better and I have been able to work at the computer for longer periods of time again. Before I get started, I wanted to go over some housekeeping items. First of all, make sure that you are getting your CEUs from this show. You are already listening to the content, so you might as well get the credit for it too. It's really easy to do. Just go to my website, which is mymidwesttherapy.com. Click on the Add to Cart button under the episode show notes. Pay the $10 for the test, and I will send you the test packet in an email. You probably won't get the test immediately because sometimes I'm not next to my computer to be able to send it instantaneously but I promise I will send it as soon as I possibly can, which at the most is usually only a few hours, especially on days when I'm out driving around seeing kiddos for therapy. The CEUs are a cheap way for you to support the show, but also get a head start on your continuing education for the year. If for some reason you don't see an email from me and it has been 24 hours since you purchased the test, Please check your spam, and if you still don't see it, send me an email and let me know you didn't get it. This doesn't happen very often, but it has happened a couple of times where the emails didn't come through to people when I sent the test, and I really have no way of knowing that it happened unless you let me know. So I promise I send the packets as soon as possible, like I said, usually within a few hours at the most of when you purchase it. Um, unless of course you're in another country and I'm sleeping when you, when you buy it, but most of the time it's within a few hours or at least the same day. Another easy way to support the show is simply using the Amazon links on my website. Click on the Amazon button and it will take you to Amazon's website where you can then buy anything that you want. You don't have to buy the item that you clicked on to get you to Amazon in the first place. I will get a small kickback from that and you will get your regular Amazon purchase at absolutely no extra cost to you. The holidays are coming up so I know you're out there doing your Amazon shopping right now. You know I don't make a living off of doing this podcast. I still have to work my real job, which I really do enjoy by the way. But any support you give me helps me get one step closer to being able to take more time to do more podcasts for you. Now this show is talking about the ATNR, and this is one of the reflexes 
that you can pretty much guarantee will show up on that list of retained reflexes that parents come back to you with from their doctor or whoever did the reflex testing with their child. There are quite a few studies out there that discuss primitive reflexes in children. Um, the general consensus seems to be that none of them provide enough scientific evidence to say for sure that any specific type of reflex integration program works, but that the perception by parents and professionals indicates there is a benefit to doing the exercises. We may not know exactly what is the best course of action yet, but using what we already know as possible options for treatments is better than doing nothing at all. Also, just because the scientific evidence may not be there at this time, based on small sample sizes, short duration of studies, and things like that, the differences we observe and record clinically may indicate that the exercises and approaches we are using indicate that we are able to make some positive changes with kids. This reminds me of the topic of sensory processing because similarly, there haven't been enough studies and enough studies over a long enough period of time to prove scientifically that certain therapies are effective or aren't effective. Although this is starting to change because there have been some studies going on a little bit longer than in the past. But that doesn't mean that we stop using strategies that seem to be effective for individuals based on observations and data that we take during therapy sessions with them. Primitive reflexes have been coming up a lot more in the past year or two with my pediatric clients. I have met many families who have been to doctors, chiropractors, and clinics where they tested their child's reflexes, and they come home with this long list of retained primitive reflexes. These are often kids who are elementary school age, like 5 to 11 years old. From what these parents tell me, these professionals are making the list of reflexes mainly based on parent report of what the child does or doesn't do. There may be more to it, but most of the time, they really couldn't name anything specific that the doctors did to test for the reflexes. It has gotten to the point now where anytime someone tells me their child had reflex testing, I already know they're going to say they have a retained ATNR, STNR, and Moro reflexes, and usually at least four or five additional reflexes, which may vary. As I've been researching this topic lately, I am more and more interested in all of it. For one thing, try doing a Google search on testing my child for primitive reflexes. I would really love to hear what you're able to come up with. I wasn't able to find anything about any specific doctors or chiropractors or even therapists that I or any parent could reach out to for testing. This is so interesting to me because I'm really not sure whose job this actually is. I've been out of school for such a long time that I might just be out of the loop on all of this, but I really feel like pediatric OTs and PTs are or should be the ones to lean on for this information. But I'm hearing about families who are getting this quote-unquote diagnostic information from doctors and clinics then are coming to me for more help. As OTs, we aren't able to diagnose anything, 
So I think this throws people for a loop. But some of the families who come to me with the list of reflexes are ones that we have been talking about these same reflexes already. I can recognize them clinically. I just technically couldn't diagnose them, which in my mind doesn't really matter because the point is to address the issues to try and help the kids, which is exactly what we do in therapy sessions. Anyway, I would love to hear from anyone who has more input on this. Um, In OT school back in the day, we talked about reflexes and testing reflexes with infants, but we really didn't talk about how it applied to older kids and adults. I know what to look for because I have quite a few years of experience in working with kids and because I've really done a lot of reading and research on this subject. But I guess you could say I don't have any official reflex testing training from anyone. Reflex testing protocols are out there for infants, but I've had a really hard time finding one for older kids. In my mind, it is similar to the testing we do for infants, but adapted to fit with older kids. And the fact that we know what to look for and how to try and elicit the reflexes and record observations of this, in addition to looking at their development and any difficulties they might be having with learning and school-related activities. So the research study that I wanted to talk about is called Persistence of Primitive Reflexes and Associated Motor Problems in Healthy Preschool Children. The key there is healthy preschool children because none of the kids in the study have been identified as having special needs. It was published in the Archives of Medical Science in January of 2018. The study looked at 35 preschool kids from ages four to six years old that were attending the same preschool together in Poland. Because so many studies looking at reflexes involve kids who have cerebral palsy, they wanted to do a study that involved children without a diagnosis or a confirmed special need. The goal was to get a sample of preschool children who were considered to be typically developing. The purpose of the study was to determine what the occurrence is of healthy four to six-year-old children to have retained primitive reflexes and to determine what impact these reflexes have on psychomotor development. The researchers used primitive reflex tests by Sally Goddard and motor proficiency test. The details of the primitive reflex tests are outlined in the study fairly well but I haven't been able to locate the motor proficiency test or MOT four to six anywhere. If anyone has access to it, please email me and let me know. I would really love to take a look at the protocol. In this study, they looked at the ATNR, the STNR or the symmetrical tonic neck reflex and the TLR or the tonic labyrinth thine reflex. The test of the ATNR was by having the child get on their hands and knees, and the examiner turns the child's head to the side and back to midline, then to the other side. I will talk more about the specific parameters for testing for this reflex in kids this age in a few minutes. All three reflexes were measured on a five-point scale, number zero to four, with zero being the lowest you can score, or in other words, the reflex is not present, 
and four being the highest you can score, which means the reflex is present 100% of the time when checked during their testing. The kids were also tested using the motor proficiency test, which examines how the child does on 18 different tasks. Those tasks are all listed out in the study report, which you can find in the show notes if you want to look at those. Generally, they include things like jumping activities, throwing and catching, and balance activities. The results indicated in this study in this sample of children that 11% of the preschool kids did not have retained primitive reflexes. That's not very many. Um, They found that at least one of the three reflexes they tested for were present in 89% of the children. But only 65% of the children have a small degree of the reflex that is left over or retained. The reflex that was found the most was the ATNR, left. So when the head is turned to face the left side, the reflex was noted. This occurred in 66% of the kids tested. The reflex that was found the least amount of time was the STNRFLX, which is when the child is in all fours or quadruped, quadruped position and their head is passively bent forward or flexed. This occurred in 33% of the kids. None of the kids in this sample scored in the highest intensity range of the reflex, which means that none of them scored a 4, which, as I mentioned before, means that the reflex is there 100% of the time. The second highest reflex noted was the TLR-EXT, or the TLR extension, and that was in 12% of the kids. The third highest was the ATNR, right, which was 9% of the kids. So you can see that the ATNR left was the most frequently observed. During the testing, they noted that out of 18 test items, the easiest one for the kids to complete was rolling around the long axis of the body, or in other words, what I would call log rolling on the ground. 94% of the kids were able to do this. The most difficult task was catching a stick. Only 6% of the kids could do this one. When comparing girls versus boys, there were no significant differences between the two groups in this study. When comparing children that were born preterm, had a higher level of non-integrated reflexes and a lower level of motor skills compared to those who were born at full term. The researchers also found that there was no apparent correlation in this study between birth weight, the APGAR scores, and body mass index, or BMI, with the level of integration of the reflexes or psychomotor skills. To sum all of their findings up, more than 60% of the kids they tested had at least one retained primitive reflex at level 1 or 2 and 25% of the kids tested had retained primitive reflexes at levels 3 and 4, and those numbers are quite high. Using the data from this study, I would advocate that all preschool-age kids should be considered for primitive reflex testing or screening. I think this is something that preschool teachers and staff should be educated about. If they have 
some ideas of what to look for, they are going to be the prime people to help identify kids at this age. As therapists, we should always consider reflex screening as part of our evaluations and ongoing assessments with our clients. Even if you aren't doing a formal reflex evaluation, it should be something that you always keep an eye out for and consider when assessing and observing kids. Hopefully between this episode and the previous one, you're starting to get some ideas on where to start with this or where to go next to build on your own skills. That's all I'm going to say about this research study. I will post links to this one and to the other ones that I found in the show notes for those of you who want to check them out in more detail. So with all of that being said, I want to get into types of activities or exercises you can do with kids to try and help integrate the ATNR. Before I do that, I just realized that in part one of this topic, I talked about how to test for the ATNR in infants and toddlers, but I really don't think I mentioned how to test for this in the older kids. So let me do that real quick. One of the more common ways is to have the child get on their hands and knees. Make sure their arms are straight with their fingers pointed towards the front. Have their head in the midline position facing forward. Then either you or the caregiver gently turns the child's head to one side, either left or right, so their head is now facing one side. When their head is turned, watch what happens to their arms, if anything. Before turning their head, make sure they are weight-bearing on their hands rather than having the weight shifted back to their feet or their legs. If you turn their head towards the left and their right elbow bends, this indicates a possible retained ATNR. If you turn their head towards the right and their left elbow bends, this would also be an indication of a possible retained ATNR. If you turn their head to one side and they shift their weight back to their legs, this might also indicate a retained ATNR. Another way to test this is to have the child stand up and hold their arms straight out in front of them. You can have them hold their arms up at shoulder height with both elbows straight. Now have them turn their head all the way to one side and keep their arms in the same position the whole time. If they turn the front of their body and their arms to that same side, or if they let their arms drop down, this potentially indicates a retained ATNR. With all of these tests, make sure and check both left and right sides because there may be a retained reflex only on one side but not the other. Once you have determined that the ATNR reflex has been retained beyond the typical age for this reflex, you can begin to make plans for exercises and activities to try and encourage this reflex to integrate. Some programs I found recommend having the child elicit the reflex several times in a row until it becomes inhibited, at least for that moment in time. For example, having the child sit in a chair and turn their head to the side that elicits the ATNR and allow the reflex to activate. In this case, if they turn their head towards the right side, their right arm and leg will extend out and they will be looking at their hand, while at the same time, their left hand and leg will bend. The idea is to have the child repeat this action several times in a row until it no longer elicits the response. 
Along that same thought process, another option is to have the child lay down on their back and turn their head to one side to elicit the ATNR. You hold the object and you hold an object on that side and have them visually track the object to their opposite side while changing position so they are getting into the ATNR with their arms and legs on the opposite side at the same time. This one was recommended to complete five cycles per day for four weeks. One cycle was them looking to each side while visually tracking the object both directions. Do five of these cycles in a row, one time per day. Then with that same exercise, do the same thing with them visually tracking an object both directions, but instead of having them go through the ATNR motions, along with their head, have them do the opposite motions. So when they turn their head to the right, their right leg would bend at the knee, their right arm would just go down by their side, and the left arm and leg would extend straight out from their body towards the left side. Basically just going against the normal reflex movements. Again, five cycles per day for four weeks. I'm not exactly sure where this recommendation of cycles and weeks comes from, but I'm just throwing it out there because this is what one of the programs recommended. Um, Actually, I think they did say these exercises were based on a book called The Rhythmic Movement by Harold Blomberg, and I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. I haven't read this book, but I am interested to check it out sometime. If anyone else has read it, let me know if you think it was worth reading, and I'll pass that information along too. Some additional exercises, another one similar to the two I just talked about, where the child lays on their back, gets into the ATNR position, and holds a ball in each hand. The balls should be different colors. In this one, once they get into the ATNR position, they should visually watch the ball the entire time. Then, keeping their head in the same position, they will move their arms and legs to get into the opposite ATNR position. So let's say they are facing the right side first. Remember, in the ATNR position, this means their head is facing the right side. Their right arm and right leg are extended out, and the left arm is bent with their fist up close to the back of their head, and the left leg is bent at the knee with the foot resting close to the thigh of their right leg. So to move out of this position, keeping their head facing the right side, they would bring their right hand up close to their face and bend the right leg at the knee and hip. At the same time, they are extending their left arm and left leg out straight towards the left side. These movements are not meant to be done fast. They just slowly move into the position each time. The next step is they will turn their head to face midline, where they are looking straight in front of them, basically towards the ceiling. Then have them lift their head up off the floor and look down at their toes for five seconds, all while keeping their arms and legs in the same position, which in our example would be the left ATNR position for the arms and legs. Then they would put their head back down but they would turn their head towards the left side before laying it down. 
So now their arms and legs are already in the left ATNR position, and they begin the second part of the cycle, where they now watch the ball that is in their left hand as they bring their left hand closer to their face, bend the left leg, and extend the right arm and right leg out to the right side. They would then turn their head back to midline, lift it off the floor, look down at their feet for five seconds, and lay their head back down towards the right side. Again, repeating these cycles five times, um, one time a day for four weeks. Things to watch for with this one to make sure they are doing it correctly and getting the most benefit from the exercise. You want to watch to make sure they are keeping their head, arms, and legs in the correct positions throughout the exercise and help them um, correct it if you need to. Make sure they are moving both sides of their body at the same exact time. Make sure they are moving their arms and their legs at the same time. And make sure they are not holding their breath and that they are watching the ball the entire time that their hand is moving towards their face especially. Another exercise you can try is having them lay on their back with their hands down by their sides and their knees bent with their feet on the floor. Make sure their feet are closer together, like shoulder width apart. For this one, you would position yourself down by their feet to help them. You can either hold on top of their knees or thighs area or behind their knees, whichever one they are more comfortable with, and you can help them passively rock back and forth head to feet direction. You want to make sure you are getting their head involved so their head and neck is nodding during this rocking motion. Once you get them started on the rocking, have them continue this movement by themselves. Then you can move up by their head to start the next part of the exercise where they will visually track an object right to left and left to right. You hold an object in their line of sight and slowly move it side to side while they watch it with their eyes. One thing to look for when having kids lay on their backs with all of these exercises is making sure they are laying with their body straight. Kids who have a retained ATNR will frequently tend to lay with a crooked body and may have their head tilted towards one side. Now, instead of laying on their back, another type of exercise is to have them lay prone or on their stomach. This one is typically referred to as the robot. While laying on their stomach, have them turn their head to the right side, place their right arm out to the side with their elbow bent at a 90 degree angle and with their palm flat on the floor. Also have them bend their right leg at the hip and knee out towards the right side. Their left arm should be just straight down by their left side, and their left leg is also straight down as well. Then have them turn their head to the left side and place their right hand down by their right side and straight, straighten out their right leg. Pause for five to 10 seconds and bring their left arm up so the elbow is bent out to the side and their palm is flat on the floor. At the same time, they are bringing their left leg up so their hip is bent to the side and the knee is also bent out to the left. It should be like their fingers are towards the top of their body and their foot is down towards the bottom of their body. Then have them turn their head back towards the right side, pause five to 10 seconds and repeat the sequence again for five cycles. It is recommended they do this three times a day for a month.
If the child is having trouble moving into these positions on their own, you can help them move through them. Another option is in a standing position. Have the child march in place while at the same time alternating bending one arm across their chest and extending the opposite arm like they're holding a sword out. At the same time, their head always turns toward the elbow that is bent across their chest. So for example, they start marching in place with their head facing forward and their arms down and relaxed. Then turn their head to the right and at the same time, bring their arms to the left side of, so that their right arm is crossing their chest and the left arm is extended straight out to the left side. Then have them turn their head to the left side and switch their arms to the right side at the same time. So now their left arm is now straight across their chest and their right arm is straight out to the right side, marching in place the entire time. Similar to this one is another option for standing and marching. For this one, the child stands still with their arms straight out in front of them, but their hands are relaxed and just flopping or hanging down, although their elbows are extended or straight out at shoulder height. Then have them turn their head to the left side and keep both arms out in the same position, straight out in front. Their arms should never change position, only the head turns to the side. Have them march for 20 steps and then turn their head to the opposite side and march for 20 more steps. When they're marching, encourage them to make high knees to really bring the knees up higher so their foot is off the floor and their knees are up towards their waist level. Also make sure their body continues facing forward because you might see their belly or torso turn towards the side their head is facing also. You may need to help the child by prompting them verbally and maybe by slightly touching their arm or hand to remind them to keep the elbow straight and directly in the front. The ATNR reflex could kick in and make them want to bend one elbow and possibly try to bring one arm towards the side the head is facing. The theories with these exercises is that they will either move through the reflex and allow it to happen by continuing the exercise until the reflex relaxes or stops being active for that moment, or they help the child resist the ATNR and move in the opposite direction of what the reflex wants them to do, hopefully breaking up the reflex pattern by doing this. Like I said, I haven't been able to find any evidence or studies indicating which one is more effective or which exercises seem to work the best. This seems to be a matter of trial and error and is probably different for each child depending on their individual needs and abilities, much like a lot of the things that we do. Now, we talked about cerebral palsy before and how the ATNR has been associated with this diagnosis quite often. I really haven't been able to find um, the evidence that the reflex exercises help with this population either. I do know that children with spasticity and CP tend to have a persisting ATNR, which often prevents them from developing their motor skills. For example, it can be very difficult for some kids to turn their head and not move into the reflex pattern in some way. And that is also true with other kids that do not have a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. This could be used with positioning and support to help them reach the, and grasp for things using the ATNR pattern 
when they might otherwise not be able to actively reach for things. Generally, the consensus is that we would want to try and break up the patterns of the reflex because the reflex does not promote good movement or motor patterns. I had a question from one listener about whether or not the reflex could benefit kids with little to no functional movement, which I also take to mean active movement. Specifically in kids with cerebral palsy, their movements are mostly or frequently reflex-driven. I think this question is one that we all have because we want to see kids with CP be able to break through these reflexes and have more active movements. However, we also want them to have some successes in the meantime and be able to accomplish things right now. This to me becomes a question of what I like to call professional judgment. You have to decide for each client where they are in their skills and what will help them make progress, but also have those successful moments along the way. Those successful moments will help with their self-esteem and will help drive them to want to continue trying new things and trying things that are difficult for them. My opinion of this is that I would use their reflex pattern, but also try to break the reflex pattern. So encouraging activities where they can be successful in completing things using the reflex to get it done, but also just as much encouraging them to do some of the exercises that I went over today or some modified version of them to try and break the reflex pattern also. I know that's not a very concrete answer, but I also know how difficult it can be as the therapist to decide where to go with treatment planning with those kiddos that have such severe impairments. I think therapists become torn between wanting the child to be able to accomplish tasks so they can be successful. Therefore, we allow and help them complete activities using the ATNR pattern to get it done. While at the same time, we're not wanting to give in to the reflex and feel like we've given up on their chances of breaking out of the reflex pattern and continuing on with developing more purposeful motor movements. For those of you who have worked with kids that have these severe physical impairments, you probably know what I'm talking about here. I think we have to give ourselves permission to allow the reflex pattern to help them be able to complete a task, but continue also to work on activities that will try to break the reflex pattern. Ultimately, the less the reflex affects their movements, the more chances of improving their functional movements and motor skills. We have to be extremely creative in some cases because some kids with such little functional movement may also have spasticity and possibly more than one reflex affecting them. This is why I can't necessarily answer the question specifically, but if you generally keep those concepts in mind about both using the reflexes and attempting to break the reflex patterns as part of their treatment plans, I think you're on the right track. In order to do that, you need to understand the primitive reflexes, not just the ATNR. So I highly recommend studying up on those so you will understand the different reflex patterns, how to elicit them, and how to prohibit them. I'm going to end here for today. I wanted to ask if anyone has additional evidence or research studies on these topics to please send them to me. I will share them with the rest of the listeners in another episode. I don't have access 
to all research sources. So there may be some other good studies out there that I haven't been able to get a hold of. And I would love to see them and share them. Since it has taken me so long to get this episode out, I have received several emails with questions and topic suggestions for future episodes in the meantime. I think in one of the upcoming shows, I will just dedicate the entire show to answering questions from people. So if you have any questions or suggestions of things you want me to talk about, send me an email in the next week or so and I will get that added to that episode. I want to thank you all for tuning back into my podcast. I will try not to take so long to get the next one out. For those of the for those of you in the US, have a happy, fun, food-filled Thanksgiving. And um, check out my website for possible Black Friday deals and ideas. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.